Here we go, season seven. All aboard. If you missed it, here's what we believe. 66 book canon. We believe in a 66 book canon. There is no more, there is no less. It's 66 books. That Yeshua, who is preached by the apostles in the Gospels and in the epistles, is the only means of salvation, as we are calling Yeshua, means. In other words, justification is by faith alone and not by works that any man should boast. Faith working through love. We are unashamedly Trinitarian. We're also unashamedly uh, doctor, believe in the doctrines of grace, what is commonly referred to as Calvinistic. The, the new covenant is not time bound. That is to say that the, the horizon of the faith of our father Abraham is no different. Right. No, no, it is not shy of the horizon of our hope and our faith. In other words, the, that the salvation was salvation was the same for Abraham as it is for us. Right. April 14th, 2020. This is Messiah Matters number 296. Perhaps the only person who can be on a vegan diet for five weeks and not lose any weight. My name is Caleb Hag. Oh, we're, no, we don't have you. Change your audio. Change your audio. Already experiencing technical difficulties. It's the secret show. It's the secret show. Drinking coffee and changing my audio. There you go. I'm Rob Van Hoff. There you go. Normally I drink water, you know that? Let me bring you down here. Let's see here. All right, you want to try switching back your mic or you want to keep it there? No, it seems that there's something flipping up in it. Um, I'm going to system mic. This is the mic on my computer. So All right. Sounds the heater good. comes on, it might make some noise. It's okay. It is what it is. Well, it is what it is, homie. We got uh, we got a secret show for everybody. And here's the thing. We didn't tell anyone that we did a Messiah Matters More video last week. And th it's only gotten two views. <laughs> uh, anyway, so there's a new Messiah Matters. you got to tell people. Huh? Yeah, there's a new Messiah Matters More video up. And also, we're going to have uh, our executive producer credit up. And uh, for who was it? Oh, oh, oh was it? Uh, I can tell you. Um, we got a, uh, we already got a producer credit. Whoever got the producer credit for our, for winter last week, we'll, we'll bring you through, um, we'll bring you through to next week or to, uh, next month. Anyway. Okay. Um, let's put, speaking of producers, let's put our producers up real quick. I can tell I you. Right. I, I logged in. So I can already tell. You know what? I can already tell you're in the chat. Before you even said anything, I knew you were in the chat room. Yeah, it's obvious. There, there's like, you can always tell because there's like a dead silence on the other side for at least five <laughs> seconds. And then, then all of a sudden, Rob realizes that, oh, no one's been talking for a little while. He must have asked me a question. <laughs> 
Uh, all right. Um, yeah, so we're in that time of the year. It's Passover right now, right? And Passover is always an interesting time. We're going to talk a little bit about the origins of, of Easter today um, because, honestly, but first got to talk about the Internet. Honestly, the Internet is just so discouraging to me in so many ways. In our, in our uh, Messiah Matters More video that we did last week, we talked, and I, I felt like it was really cut short. It could have been an entire show, and the reason why was because I brought up the idea of, okay, if there was no, basically we talked about community. If, if you're not a supporter of this show, then you're not going to know what we're talking about and you can't see the video. Um, but the point is, is that we talked about community and how vitally important it is to be part of a community. And I brought up the idea. It was more of a question than anything else. Like, okay, back in, you know, the 1500s, 1400s, you didn't have a choice. If you wanted to be part of a community, you were part of the Catholic Church. That was it, right? So the question that I had was if there was no other option, if government and religion were brought together and, you know, there was no separation of church and state and basically the church was the state and that church was the Catholic Church, what would we do today? Would we actually attend the Catholic Church knowing that it's rooted in paganism, knowing that it's, you know, that it's not the religion of the Bible and these kind of things? And I didn't get to hash that out, really. And so well, I don't and we should we should touch upon also because uh, we, you know, we affirm the doctrines of grace, right. which is referred to as Calvinism. You know, that hasn't gone well with when a situation with. uh Oh. Keep going, keep going. I'm listening. It's the, I thought the plagues were over. No, they're not. <laughs> keep going. I'm listening. <laughs> that uh, you had a, a place where church and state were wed together, also, right. uh, in the Calvinist world, and that didn't go well. So, um, just wanted to throw that out there. Well, but, uh, my point is this: Look, I have, I believe. I truly believe that there are people in the Catholic Church today who have true faith and are saved and they're justified and you know they're they're God's people. I'm not saying the entire Catholic Church is that way obviously. Okay? I would And say, I think Luther had the same view. Exactly. Right? That's why he wanted to you know, he led on the side of reformation of the church from the pope down. Exactly. Yeah. And so, but the point is, is so if we had, like, I, I ask myself if I had no community at all, and the only community available, literally the only community available was the Catholic Church. Nobody thinks like this today. Nobody thinks like this today. What people think is, I can't find people who, who I agree with, so what I will do is I'll stay at home. That's the, that's the idea. Nobody thinks to themselves, oh, what they do in, you know, what they do during the Reformation. Well, granted, they pushed against the Catholic Church. A lot of them lost their lives. But it started as a grassroots, and those guys studied hard. Those guys, you know, they they put their hands to the plow. They started their their communities. They started their churches. And because of that, we had the Protestant Reformation, which changed now, Caleb, you, the entire this is a question of the for world. You. Question yeah. for you. Is your way more red? on church history and, and the ref, roots of the Reformation than I am. But I have a question. So with respect to Luther, he was already trained in Bible languages mm -hmm. before the doctrine of justification by faith, before the Lord just lit that in his heart, right? Yeah. But in the wake of Luther and, and the other reformers, do we know of individuals that 
kind of what you were just describing of that profile that they they latched on to the idea of justification by faith first and maybe had some experience of the, the Catholic Church but lacked the learning and then in other words that when they pursued their learning they were already oriented to what we call a, re a reformed uh, worldview and pursuing their education within a reformed worldview as in contrast to Luther who gained education inside under the, you know, the umbrella of the church and then came to it. You see what I mean? How there's different yeah, paths. Yeah, actually. So the, 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 uh, <laughs> the spokes as it were of the reformation are many and, and pointing in different ways. Now, I don't know any, I, nothing comes to mind in terms of exactly what you're talking about. However, when we think about the Reformation, like for instance, in England, obviously you have Tyndale, who he's a huge major player in the Reformation, right? And his, he has many great writings. I think that he's probably one of the most under-recognized uh, reformers, uh, you know, major reformers. I think that he's one of those. But his major contribution was learning Greek, learning Hebrew on his own. He taught himself Hebrew and Greek. He did that so he could translate the scriptures. And and was it because there was no institutional structure? Like right now, if a believer wants to learn Hebrew or Greek, there's a gazillion paths. Right. From self-study. Even if you choose self-study, right. there's a there's how many different curriculums? Okay, all the way through any different number of institutions online or brick and mortar right. that a person could go to. What you're saying is Tyndale, he had none of that. And so he had to go only to the self-study. And I bet there wasn't competing Hebrew, latest Hebrew grammars or you latest. Know, <laughs> you know how he taught himself Hebrew and Greek from the oh. scriptures. He took the, the Latin Vulgate and went backwards and went and yeah. went, yeah. And went from the Vulgate and taught himself Hebrew and, and Greek. Don't get me wrong. And this is going to play, play into our discussion on social media. Don't get me wrong. These guys were brilliant. You know, well, and led by the spirit, we're, led we're by trusting. the spirit. But, but yeah. John Calvin, you know, John Calvin was eight years old when when Luther uh, nailed his 95 thesis to the door. John Calvin was an amazing mind by any. It doesn't matter what side of theology you fall on. Calvin was an unbelievable mind. The, the guy oh, was yeah, yeah. Oh, the guy was unbelievable. Yeah. He it has been suggested that he was one of the greatest and most influential minds since the, the days of the apostles. Um, but the, but the point is, is that you got guys who are extremely well-learned. In other words, the, the, the schooling that they're getting, if we compare it to what we have today in say the public school, it's astronomically different. Oh, golly. Yeah. And so, you know, I asked my dad today, I was walking through the office. I passed his desk. I said, do you think that the internet has hurt or has has expanded the church more or hurt the church more now i'm I'm not one look we're broadcasting this show on the internet currently so i'm not one to say that we shouldn't be using the internet i'm just right. the question that i'm asking is has it been more detrimental or more of a blessing to the church and the fact is is that people today think that if they if they want to find something out where do they go they go to the internet. Yeah, my wife said yesterday, she said, Google is people's God. Exactly. They they don't go to God. My wife said, I was just like, my jaw dropped. It's like, I'm like, you're right on. Like, 
people think they can just, they'll just Google something, you know? And then she's like, she's like, I'm afraid, you know, that we're training people to not seek the Lord. Let me tell you something. If I need to know something, if I want to write anything down, I go to a book. I go to a book. And if I, if I'm going to go to the internet, if I am going to go to the internet, if I'm going to cite something from the internet, the person usually has to have a pretty darn good uh, publishing record. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? In other words, if I go to the internet and I find like a, a quote from N.T. Wright that I know is published in one of his books, but I find it on the internet. Okay, I can quote that, right? Or a paper that he's written on the internet. Why? Because N.T. Wright is a well-known scholar who has a corpus of books that have been published and has been tried and true through the rigors of, of and he's been immersed immersed in the apostolic writings in the original right. language for decades that doesn't mean i agree with decades. him exactly 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 decades but but he's a laborer who has gone before us right you know but but if i find joe schmo on the internet right and and this is where social media comes in to, to this whole conversation. If I find somebody on the internet who just says, you know, X, Y, Z is true. The problem that we have today is that people say, oh, look, this person has 150,000 followers. They must be right. Or, and the problem is, is that the people with, with the most followers are usually the people I'm not across the no, board, well, but you got, well, you got, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Shouldn't we correlate what you're talking about with, the the I don't remember what the article was. There was an article about heresy in the church, and it was just like 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 leaven in in the bread, right? I mean, it was like eighty percent or eighty five percent of of self identified you know American Christians hold to her heretical views. So, wouldn't those work together? Yeah. You know, if you've got the, and some of those could be really skilled in digital marketing, you know, or, or social media. Yeah. I, once again, we, I need to be very clear here. Look, I'm, I'm all for uh, certain forms of social media, as long as it's used properly. There are some great follows that I have on Twitter, you know, some great follows that I have on Twitter and I love, you know, like edifying. I think that it's spiritually edifying what these guys are putting on Twitter, Facebook, not so much. I think, that, but you know, everybody has their own favorite, but the, I guess the point is, is that what you have is you have a platform when, where anyone and everyone is given. I don't, you know what? I don't really, <laughs> I post on Facebook, but I don't read other people's posts. Yeah. The, I, I, I can't, I great majority. I can't be on Facebook anymore. And, and I mean, last now our local community has a private Facebook group that we use, you know, but that's different. I guess the point for me is, is that what you do with social media is you give everyone the microphone. And that sounds like a great thing, but think about this in terms of church. If your pastor stood up in front of church and said, now we're going to let anybody come on up and give their feelings on the sermon today. What would happen in church? What would happen in your community? Now, I know there's a lot of open communities where you can raise your hand and, <clears throat> and talk and, and whatnot, I'm not necessarily saying that that's a bad thing, but it's usually at least governed by the elders of the church, right? In other words, there's still structure. There's still some form of 
you know, we hold to this theology and, and we're going to be looking at the, this text through this theological lens. On the internet, there's none of that. When you get onto Facebook, any person can say whatever they want. And basically, it's fine, right? And one of the major problems that I see with this is that you got guys that have YouTube channels. And what they've done is they have made the internet, their the Google search is their researcher. There's no library. I'm serious. There's no library. And you can see this in all the videos that are going on. I saw a video, you know, I started watching a video today on this, this very well-known channel, 67,000, I think, uh, followers, subscribers on YouTube. And they're, t they're giving 50 reasons why uh, we, to, to we never, shouldn't, that we should never quote yeah, Paul. Keith sent us that link and uh, I'd never seen it until Keith sent it. Uh, I mean, but I'd never heard of the group either because I'm not watching YouTube. If I watch YouTube, it's usually music. Like I was just listening to Pat Metheny's new CD and he just put it on YouTube. So it's just a picture of the album cover, but it's just, you know, I don't listen to music. So, but on that note, okay, well, here's a, I found an article the other day, Don McLean, remember bye bye Miss American pie. Yeah. Yeah. That guy, he says, there's no more music. He says he, he, he can't find music anymore. And, and I, I, there's a tinge of, there's a tinge of a parallel to what I'm hearing you say here. I don't listen to music because I've almost never listened to music. No, no. What I mean in terms of what is, what does he mean when a guy who's from the sixties the and seventies says there's no music anymore? Okay. I know exactly what he's saying. He's, is there a parallel in the theological realm? Is Absolutely. that, is that reflecting he says it's soulless. There's no, there, no one has, no one, one of the things he says is no one's standing up for anything. Right. Exactly. And those who take a stand, take a, get a beating. I mean, we know that locally from our, you know, but you sadly. Have, okay. I mean, we're all over the place here, but let's tie it all together. We got, we got multiple issues going on here. You know, somebody said to me the other day, <clears throat> and I don't want to reveal any names or anything like that, but somebody said to me, one of the reasons that people are leaving the church is because uh, the church has no empathy. The church, church leaders are so against homosexuality and they, you know, people, people are feeling rejected and like God hates them. And bad I, theology, bad theology, bad theology. Exactly. And that's the point is that I think that the, the reason that people are leaving the church is because it's easier to leave God behind than it is to, to give your entire, entire life to him. Ultimately, now we could talk about that for an entire show. We could talk about what it means to give your life to Christ. We could talk about how people love sin and how how uh, the human nature is always going to want sin over uh, righteousness, right? And it's only through the Holy Spirit that we conform to righteousness. But the point here is is that you have multiple things going on with the downplaying of of uh, higher education. And with the downplaying of good education in general, what people are learning to do is not ask good questions. And they're also not learning how to research. Nobody knows how to find the answers. So, so the general idea of uh, this is how I'm going to find the answers is go to the Google. I'm going to go to Google. I'm going to pop in my question and it's going to pop up for me. And that's going to be it. The problem is, is that it's like, it's like finding the, the, the pie that has rat poison in it. You don't know what piece has rat poison in it, and probably most of it does. And with that, with that comes a degradation also and a leaving of community. The idea that community is not a vital part of my walk with God. 
You know, I wrote a art. Uh, this is going to go a little bit on a rabbit trail. Bear with me for just a second. I wrote an article on growing in Messiah. Uh, I think it was the very first article I or the very first post I ever wrote on growing in Messiah, which is uh, my wife, and my uh, blog site. And I think it was called something. This was a year ago, so it's not that far, but my mind is not that sharp. Uh, it was called something like uh, the purpose of our life or the purpose for our life. And basically what I tried to show and argue in that article is that the person who is rich and has everything that they could possibly want is still going to feel horrible and not feel like they're getting the most out of life, as opposed to the person who has nothing but serves the Lord. Why? Because we were created for the sole purpose of glorifying God. And on top of that, I think that community, you can have community that is biblical community and you can have community that's not biblical community, right? You can have your club of, you know, you can have your chess club that you go to and you play chess with other people and it's fun and it's great and all those kind of things, but it's not the kind of community that's going to fulfill that need for real biblical community. And the reason why is because real biblical community is community where you bear each other's burdens, where you uh, lift each other up in Christ, where you are together to glorify God. That is true community, and that's the only kind of community that's truly going to satisfy. And when we don't have that, our walk is not fulfilled. It's not here's another here's, an, here's another way to think about it. Yeshua says, I will build my ecclesia. Yes. Is When he says, I will build my ecclesia, is he envisioning... What, what kind of is today echoing what the monastic tradition was doing. People would go, they would go live in their own caves right. because they, on the one right. hand, they rejected the city life, right. which was good. They, they were right to reject maybe, you know, indulgence of the flesh and things that they saw rampant in, in the city life. So they went to the desert, but at what point, I mean, you could use the whole, you know, John the Baptist versus the Qumran, Qumran community. sect, right? Exactly. You know, they left Jerusalem. They're like, oh, we're just going to set up camp out here. You what know? does this show well, you, though? What does it show you? What's the you? future of the Qumran? There was no, there what was no it? future for that community. But, but the, the very first thing that I think about that is it's that, not even. It's a. It's a. To be clarified, I don't want to. When we call the Qumran community a community, it was not in any way. What we what we mean by ecclesia, community. right? Just to clarify, go ahead. But but what we what what does that prove? It proves that this is not this is not specific to our time. In other words, people right. have always tried to uh, make community their own instead of doing it God's way. And that's the point. I have said multiple times, and you know, I and in our Messiah- well, if we if we miss if we miss identify our problems. If I come to the Bible with yes. my yes. my problems, and then I'm look, then the Bible becomes like a resource book that I'm going to try to fix my problems by looking to the Bible, you know. And then I'm like, you know what? Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about this, but the Book of Enoch does. <laughs> so I think I'm now I'm going to expand my my resource library for solving my problems. Right. Yeah, Paul. Yeah, I don't know about Paul. Get rid of Paul. You know, he's you know, and and instead, that's building, that's someone building on sand. Well, well what's right? it? because they haven't identified the core problem, and that gets back to the doctrine, the importance of the doctrines of grace. If you if you have not, if you have not been confronted with the depravity of your own sin, when you come to Scripture, you're 
you're bringing a problem set and you think you're studying scripture. Well, I don't know what you think, you know, like you're going to apply the Bible to your life or whatever, but it, it's ultimately not going to, that's not a house that's going to stand in the storm. And, and, because and, of it, well, but why is that? And and here's one of the main points that because, I would, because the the solution is Yeshua's the solution, and we got to start by seeking first the kingdom of God. Yeah, but when we have a mindset which is sinful by nature, and we're the only ones, we're sitting here looking at the Bible, and this don't get me wrong. There's two sides of this sword because first of all. The word is a two-edged sword, so it's powerful. It can change us. We can be, you know, a sinner can be looking at the Bible, and the Bible can all of a sudden, the Spirit can make the Bible come alive to that person and change a person's heart. So I'm not saying that's not that can't be the case. But we also, what we also see, is we also see people sit down with the Bible and say, I can not consciously, but subconsciously say, I can manipulate this so that my sin is okay, according to that's, this. That's exactly right. That's what Yeshua, when he talks about the, the two people, two men went up to pray at the temple, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Well, right there, people are like, wow, the Pharisee knows scripture better than the tax collector, I'm sure. But the prayers of the two people, it was the tax collector that actually knew that he was a sinner and that God was merciful. Because his prayer was, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? And Yeshua said, he's the one that was justified, not the one who's like, oh, I tithe everything. I I fast during the week. Right. And I'm so thankful I'm not like this other guy over here. And it's like, yeah. So someone could, in Yeshua's day, you know, he's saying, look, yeah, you can know all the scriptures and still miss it. Well, we know Paul of Tarsus, right? Saul of Tarsus was the greatest example. But But this is the point. And, and I get this one a lot. Oh, I, I gather with my family on Shabbat. That's what I get a lot. Now, I'm not saying that's not a great place to start. That is a great place to start. If that's all you got right now, it's a great place to start. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, to people to feel like I'm uh, like I am just down on everyone. I'm not. I'm, I want to encourage people to try to get into biblical community if you're not in one. But the point is, is that what happens in a family is the same thing as what happens with the person who sits there and manipulates the scripture, even if it's un subconsciously. I have all the answers, whatever it is. And this also happens, by the way, in churches and communities that only have a sole leader. If if you're the only pastor, and, and I've seen it time and time again, you place yourself as the person who's in charge and has the final say, and guess what? I think it's C.S. Lewis who says that authority will always corrupt and ultimate authority is will bring ultimate corruption. He said that in The Weight of Glory. But the point, the point is, is that um, if you're sitting at home and, you know, you're manipulating a passage or five passages or ten passages of Scripture so that you can live in your sin, when you get together with your family and you're leading your family, guess what? You're going to manipulate There's them too. You're just replicating the... It's an echo chamber. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons that gathering together is so vitally important, is because it's a it's check marks, man. And guess what? It's not fun. I said in, a, I said in our video last week, and I think this is true, the reason that God commanded community is because we wouldn't do it otherwise. <laughs> 
I'm serious. I don't I think th- there's a lot of truth to that. If I if I wasn't commanded to do it, I don't know if I would. We got I mean the chat room has blown up. Joshua says um since you brought up the idea of monastic tradition, specifically the desert fathers and their Egyptian monasticism, do you guys believe that monasticism is biblical? I don't believe monasticism is biblical in the way that it is being used today. I think yeah, li- and I think the de- I think the desert fathers were they were you know, they were trying to clear their minds and hearts from the stuff of, of the city. I, so I can, I can understand rationally why they wanted to go out into the desert. Um, I can get it. I have no you problem. Know? Look, somebody else earlier in the chat room said, you know, my family and I um, moved out to the to the country for country life, and our children followed, and it and it changed their lives. That would be di- okay, that's so that's, different. That's, that's yeah. different. Yeah, monastics is like a man, like a life of celibacy, living by himself in a cave, basically, and maybe occasionally meeting, depending on which monastic order or tradition it was. But I mean, yeah. if you, if a person or a group of people want to live in a community, um, you know, that's up to that's up to them. But usually what happens is they try to close the community. They try to close it off from the outside. And I don't know if that's what the Bible is teaches. The Bible teaches to go out to the nations and make disciples. You can't do that if you have a closed community where no one's allowed to see what you're doing. And what ends up happening is authority usually takes over and the, uh, the, the sinful nature of humans comes out. This is how cults are made. Right. So I'm not in. I mean, this could go into this is a this is a tree of different topics. Right. You can get into uh, cults. You can get into uh, what would be uh, uh, the right way to live in a community. Should we have communities like that where they live together? What has been the historical benefit of that or the downfall? I mean, th- this is a huge conversation. Um, OK, let's keep going. Let's see here. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, let's tie it all back together. So social media. Our title is social media and believers. I think that social media has done two main. Now, once again, I want to emphasize again because I know what's going to happen. Somebody clip this and say, "Oh, look, Caleb's using social media, but it says that we shouldn't be on it." That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that social that we shouldn't be on social media. What I'm saying is that. Two bad things have happened. First of all, people have tried to use the internet. And I used to do this. I used to do this a lot. I try to use the the internet to or the social media to police other believers. And I don't know if that's helpful. I don't think it is. And the other thing that it's done is it's given a false sense of community, which I think is a horrible thing. Your Your local physical community is not on the internet. Um, Dustin Benj, I listened to an interview by him the other day and he said, I, before I post anything, I ask myself several questions. The first question I ask myself is, does this glorify God? And if it, if the answer is, I don't know, or maybe I don't post it. He said, I only post things that I want to try to encourage other people and, and that will benefit other people. What a wonderful thing to say to yourself before you post something. And I, you know, I've tried to now do that. I try not to get any in debates online, which is 
sometimes very difficult. A lot of people <laughs> want to fight, right? But once again, what benefit is it? I don't see a benefit of any of that. If somebody, you know, and another thing that uh, Dr. Benj said was he said, you know what, the truth will, will win out in the end. The truth will win out. So I don't need to, to be on a crusade to convince people of the truth. I post the truth and the truth will, will stand. <laughs> Beautiful, right? Um, so I, I think those are my thoughts on, on social media in terms of uh, I think that right now it's more detrimental to m- many believers than they understand it is. I think most believers should probably take a step back from social media and say, what am I doing? Everybody's a scholar all of a sudden on social media. Everybody has found a, an article that that supports their wrong idea of what's going on in this verse or that verse. Yeah, and it's it's you, you mentioned earlier the idea of passing around the microphone sort of thing. It's not even that. Everybody has a microphone and they're all talking at the same time. And then you have to like you have to decide which if you're going to interact with anybody at all, you got to like pick some person and then another mic and it's. So Matt says something really interesting here in the in the chat room. Matt says it may be the way we fellowship from here on, or from here on. Hopefully not. I would contend that it that you can that it's not fellowship. That is not fellowship. I don't think that online that meeting online is fellowship. I I know that people are gonna really really hate that. I mean, when we talked about online, you know, meeting online two or three weeks ago. I mean, we got calls to the office. <laughs> People were not happy on my stance on on streaming services. They just were not, not happy. I'm not going to back down from that. I just don't think that there, I mean, I don't think you can have fellowship online. I think to have biblical fellowship, you have to be in person, which is why it's commanded to gather. And that's not a popular view. No, I, I understand. It was like, for example, while during this quarantine thing, my family is trying to, and some of us live, you know, hundreds of miles apart too, but, but so we don't all get together maybe twice a year, maybe a couple times a year, but it's awesome when we're all together. Right. And it, because of the, of the, this whole self quarantine thing, we're trying to keep my folks, uh, you know, make sure that they don't have to go run out and about and do a bunch of stuff, but we're not visiting them. Like I'll, if I talk to him, I'll stay, you know, and they'll have the door open and it, it's, this really stinks, you know, but um, we're trying to, you know, just go, go all out and making sure we've done everything we can during this time. So well, we've been used, so we've used this zoom thing where right. we can see everybody and everybody can log in from different time zones and everything. And it's wonderful and we laugh and stuff, but it's, it's not the same. Right. It's not the same. And we're talking family that, you know, genuine siblings and cousins and stuff like that, you know, uh, look, the, 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 so, so if that's true, if it's true in a just family, a, right. a big family that the social media, now this is not the same. We do use social media. We'll post funny things to each other. You know, we have small text groups and stuff like that. And we make each other laugh. And so there is there is a place where the social media is is benefiting the sure, whole. Sure, sure, sure. But I absolutely agree. It does not replace. 
it would just really stink if if it would if we got to a place where I was never going to see any of my family again except through social media. It would just be I I don't know what the future would be like uh, of those relationships. You know, not being able to physically get together and hang out. I want to make it very clear because somebody in the in in the chat room says maybe so, but that's opinion. You're right, it's opinion. In fact, this is not a uh, a Torah resource held um, belief. In other words, there's dissension. Even my father and I have a different view on this. So, you know, it's not like this is uh, this is uh, this is my personal opinion. However, I think that the comment below that really hashes out what I believe on this. Joshua says after you know Terry says maybe said well, that's opinion. Joshua says holy convocation, holy get together for worship that can only happen when you physically meet. And I, I believe that. That's what I believe, personally. Um, so, and we see this in the temple. Actually, you know, I was thinking about this in temple, temple worship back in the first century. There was no, I like this person more than I like this person or anything like that. You're lumped in. Everybody's together. There's no clicks. There's no, I mean, you bring your, your sacrifice whether you like the person next to you or not, and I think this is one of the reasons that we, you know, if you bring your your uh, your sacrifice to the altar and you have something against your brother, right? Why? Because we're all there together. You can't turn off the screen. You can't mute the person. You can't walk out of the building. It's the only building that they had, right? I mean, sure, there were synagogues around, but the point is, is that the temple was the the central hub of worship that everybody went to. You couldn't get away from it. And now put that in the context of our, our, our gatherings today. I will build my ecclesia. What does that do for us? What is that, you know, what should that say to our way of worship? It's, it's pretty intense, I think, if we... Well, here, here's, an, here's an example too, Caleb, because you mentioned um, uh, Dr. Binge, is it? Yes, that, Benj. Yeah. Yep. Benj. Yep. Um, and his questions that he asked before he posts, and I, I, I respect that. I think that's good. With a situation of community, we're confronted with the reality of the love command, which mm. which, yeah. which means love your neighbor. And, you know, Yeshua says, who's my neighbor? Well, he, 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 he says, you know, there's no excuse for you to look at a person and say, well, that person is not my neighbor. He's saying, you know. Like the guy's trying to find out maybe who he doesn't have to love, you know, but the confrontation with that command is also the confrontation that like you will, you will not bear, suffer sin because of him. You will in all manner rebuke your neighbor, right? If you go to look in Leviticus 19 with the social media world, if someone, it, it makes it way easier. I'll just go find another Facebook group. You know what I mean? If right. I'll just go and I'll find the Facebook group that agrees with my heresy yeah. <laughs> or my, and, and if someone kicks me out of there, I'll just go, comp you know, in other words, being in real community makes that confrontation be in the, like you're saying, in the relational reality that it's supposed to be in. Now, granted, some people still reject correction and they'll leave, you know, but but it's it's a lot harder, and the the consequences, the social consequences, are way more uh, felt and and real. 
Yeah, this gets into our, you know, the final uh, aspect of, the, of this. Before we came on air, Rob said, Caleb, do you think that we're living in the end times? Now, I've been a person for a really long time who said, I don't think we're in the end times, which is, I remember saying that one time. I, my dad and I were up in Canada. My dad was teaching and I was there to videotape it. I remember telling some lady that, it just in, I was just kind of in passing, you know, she was talking about how this is certainly the end times and, uh, you know, and this was, I mean, this is at least 10, 12 years ago. It's certainly the end times and, and Christ's uh, return was eminent and we would see it, you know, any day. And I just said, well, I don't, you know, I don't really think we're in the end times yet. And I mean, it look, her, the look on her face was as if I had just stood up and slapped her across this. I mean, she was dumbfounded but she could just not believe and she went on this like 10 minute tyrant against me on how you know i'm young i don't understand all these kind of things and my i just made one response where i said do you think the people um who went through the holocaust believe that they were in the end times and they would see christ and you know there wasn't really a, a whole lot of of pushback to that but what i told rob today is I think that because of such a dumbing down of, and this is a, obviously this isn't across the board. There are some great, great believing communities out there, some great individual believers, and some great homeschoolers, and even some great you know schools that are teaching really good education. So it's not across the board. And I'm not trying to put you know the entire world down <laughs> right now. All I'm saying is, is I think that with the internet and how prevalent. Uh, heretical theology is today by the time my son is my age the state of the church and the state of theology in general i think will be so degraded that you won't have people willing to stand you'll have obviously the remnant there's always going to be a remnant right there's always going to be god's true ecclesia that will stand for the truth and, and is willing to die for it look right now we see in the we see in the covid19 thing right People are saying, oh, Bill Gates wants to, to microchip all of us, and you're going to have to have your papers to prove that you have the vaccine and all this kind of stuff. And everything that's in my news feed is on, you know, on Facebook is everyone posting, they'll never chip me. They'll never do, you know, never will I bring papers, never will, you know, it's like, okay, there's enough people out there that if they tried to do something like that right now, it's not going to work. But in 40 years, in 30 years, in 20 years, with the degradation of of true knowledge and the ability to ask good questions, I think that that's super possible. So what do we mean by end times? Do I think that Christ's return is eminent? I mean, right now I don't think so, but it could be. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I know we're supposed to, um, like in Luke chapter 12, which we were just reading the other day, um, we're supposed to be dressed for action lamps burning you know that when the when the master returns that he finds uh you know blessed are those that the the master of the house finds you know and so our training is clear our marching orders are clear um occupy till i come you know that's what he said so uh but i'm not i think caleb you and i are alike in this that we don't jump onto the conspiracy thing. I like what Clint, I saw what Clint put, I've lived through three great tribulations since joining the movement. Right. <laughs> okay. That's, I mean, that's example. And I, I mentioned to you, Caleb, this morning before our show that I remember what it felt like in the late nineties, 97, 98, when 
you had uh, Missler was pushing Y2K. All the computers were going to crash. Michael Rood said it was the end the of the new world. world order. Yeah, Michael yeah. Rood was coming. I mean, Monty if Judah. You, yeah. Now this was early internet, right? I mean, you, there were forums. There were like Elia.com or Elijah.com or one of you know, but you didn't have YouTube yet, right? right? There was no YouTube. There was no Google, right? Back then, this is like late '90s. I don't think there was a Google. Yeah, I don't think there was a Google. Have you seen? Um, wait, hang on, just a sec. Have you seen the found footage of of like what's the internet? Well, let me tell you what the you know people like on. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Anyway, keep going. No, but, but yeah. So that's that's the world, you know. And um, I kind of lost my train of thought. I'm but so the point sorry. is, there was an intense. There was this intensity. There was a feeling that it was all coming to the end. Well, and and you had the Wootens pushing the Who is Israel at that time. Right. Like that book was going around like the the church is really Ephraim. At least this is, obviously, I'm sharing the streams that I was aware of. Right. There was obviously a lot more going on. But here's the thing. While all those things, we look back and laugh at those things, that was the crucible where the Lord really confronted me with my lack of knowledge like like the fact that i didn't have any way to stand on anything because one guy would say one thing another guy would say another and they both quote you know hebrew or this or that and it's like i had to come face to face with the fact that i know nothing and and by god's grace you know he opened a path i went back to i went back to kindergarten i learned started learning legitimately the bible languages independent of, of that and and so that was you know 20 23 24 years ago now and i'm super thankful but uh but boy you know i'm feeling and so at one point i hope that just like i was for me 20 some odd years ago that there would be some young believers that are in the middle of this mix and they're seeing the in all the craziness. They're being confronted with the their lack of knowledge, their lack of of ability to actually uh, form an opinion and to be able to stand up for what their opinion is and to stand for it with the scriptures uh, at their side. And I'm hoping that in the same way that the Lord used that for me, that moment, He'll use this moment for others. That and when you talk about you know Ben growing up. Uh, that there will be people. But my wife, here's another thing that she said the other day, blew my mind. Because, you know, in, in Texas, they are banning abortions right now. Right. My wife's like, what about these babies that, because the Lord did this, so that 20, 30 years from now, these kids that would have been aborted are going to be doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. isn't? Right. It? And I'm just like, it never occurred to me. I'm like, yeah. that was awesome. And so... You know, we know that the Lord works in mysterious ways. And wouldn't that be just for the nature of his elect that he allows this COVID thing to come through and shake things up so that certain babies are going to be born, that the enemy does not want to be born? I wouldn't be surprised, you know. Um, okay. There's a lot going on all over the place here. I want to say one last thing on this topic, and then we'll move to Easter. Um were we talking about Easter Day? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so okay. we had one thing that we were going to talk about, and I decided that's not good to talk about. So I scratched all of it and wrote down three different things that we were going to talk about. <laughs> and that's what we've talked about so far. Um, hey, the, in terms of Gematria, I turned 
seven times seven on Easter Sunday. I, I turned 49 on Easter. Wow. So, you must be really holy. So do the, do the gematria on that. Tell me like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I st- okay. So back to uh, learning and, and this idea of, you know, the idea that we've kind of lost the ability to ask good questions and to, you know, th- this kind of thing. Um, for those who are like, it's just too overwhelming because I feel like that a lot. I feel like, you know, man, where do I start? And I've been to school. I've, you know, I've learned Hebrew. I've learned Greek, all that kind of stuff. And and I still wonder where there's a mountain of stuff I want to read. Where do I start? And um, I've been looking at some really good teachers today that have continued to, to say things about either the Reformers or the Puritans. And so I walked into my dad's library. Now, granted, it's a huge library, so I had a lot to choose from. But I just decided I would start with some of the classics. I picked up John Owen's, The Works of John Owen, Volume 1. And nice. I, I started reading this. I've never read John Owen before. And I have to say, I, I understand why everybody's talking about the Reformers and the Puritans. If you need something to read, go to the library, go to your used bookstore, something like get online, go to abooks.com. Find something by one of the Puritans or by one of the Reformers, well-known, and pick it up and just start reading. Because you know what? It's a little bit hard to follow it sometimes. But I've read one chapter in this book, and I've already solidified a new understanding of, of, of a piece of scripture from, from Owen. Uh, the guy's amazing. And so if you, you know, some people are going to want to go learn Hebrew and Greek. And I think that that is fantastic. Other people are going to say I'm too old or whatever. I can't do that. If you're one of those people, okay, start somewhere else. Pick up one of the reformers, pick up one of the periods. It's like, you know, like, or even like a a Jonathan Edwards. Oh yeah. You know, and here's why, because you're reading, it's not like when you read Calvin, you're reading a translation unless you're, unless you can read, you know, other languages. Sometimes, even Luther, you're reading into translation. But you read John Owen, you read Jonathan Edwards. Edwards um, is fantastic. And you're I, reading oh man, the, so their good. thoughts and their use of the English language will is way higher than we're learn than we learn to use language. Right. And so it's like what Caleb's saying, it stretches us because we're like, I'm A, I'm not used to the some of these vocabularies terms, but man, could they write a sentence? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like meaty meaty language and i i think we could use that more meaty use of the english language it's not just that the the way that they use the language to bring out their ideas and yeah, their theology yeah, is unbelievable i mean jonathan edwards i read an 11 page uh article the other day on, on his view of the trinity and it it too solidified and really just uh, it really solidified a lot of what i had already been thinking but he put things in a way that were just like eye opening to me it was like yes so good okay Let's move now to Easter. First of all, I just want to say this is not a popular view, okay? Um, what I'm going to share is not a popular view. The idea and the rampant, <laughs> rampant suggestions on social media that Easter is a pe- derives from a pagan festival is not provable. And not only is it not provable, but I don't think it's historically accurate. Now, let me explain. I'm not suggesting in any way, shape, or form 
that Easter eggs or Easter bunnies should be incorporated into our celebration of the resurrection of Christ. That is not what I'm saying. So I want to state that from the very beginning. I am not saying that. But if we look at the historical growth of the church from the synagogue and the destruction of the temple, we don't have some pagan festival called Ishtar that happened in the springtime that all of a sudden the pagans said, we're going to take our festival and we're going to put it on the Sunday next to the the 14th of Nisan and we're going to call it Easter and and we're going to incorporate all this paganism into it. That is not historically true. That's not what happened, exactly. What happened was that the, the Christians celebrated Passover and it wasn't until the 4th, to fifth century that you had the quadradeciman controversy. This was a controversy about uh, between uh, the Eastern and the Western church, when they should celebrate the resurrection of Christ, whether they should do it when the Jews did it on the 14th of Nisan, those people were qual- called the quadradecimans because quadradeciman means 14 or hence 14 of Nisan. But the church was, was uh, and wrongfully so I'm not saying this was right of them, and I think that the that uh, with Luther's I tweeted this the other day with Luther with Luther Luther's suggestion <clears throat> that uh, that councils can, can err we should reexamine the quadradeciman controversy. Basically, what the church wanted to do was disassociate themselves from the Jews because the Jews and the Christians were were fighting a lot. The the Christians were asserting that the Jews killed Christ. The I mean the 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 debates were running rampant, and what the Christians decided to do was try to disassociate themselves in every way possible from Judaism. Now, once again, I'm not saying that that's right. I'm not saying that that's that we should follow suit in any way, shape, or form. But this is why. Easter is attached to a Sunday. They said Christ rose on a Sunday. Let's celebrate the resurrection on a Sunday each year, and we'll put it as close the Sunday that's closest to Nissan 14. If Nissan 14 falls on a Sunday, we'll do it the following week. And this is why you have Easter set to a, a, a specific date. You don't have these uh, bringing in of of Easter eggs or Easter bunnies until later. There is debate among scholars on whether or not Easter eggs actually come from the idea of new life and not from something pagan. I'm not going to take one side one or one way or the other because I don't think that there's evidence enough on either side. Now, I know that there's been a lot of teachers out there recently, even in, I've seen videos in the past week that have come out from different uh, ministries and different people saying that, you know, look, look at all the evidence of, of eggs and pagan worship and all this kind of stuff. I don't deny that by any stretch of the imagination. Why? Because eggs have always been a symbol of new life. And so, uh, but you know what? We have other symbols within paganism. Just because something is used cross-culturally, to symbolize something, for instance, the cross symbolizing death doesn't make it pagan. Yeshua died you know, on, and I remember, on the cross. I remember a, a couple of years ago at, at Torah Resource Family Camp, uh, Andre gave uh, Andre Philippe gave a great paper. He had gone to didn't he? He went to Scotland to research the the guy who wrote the the two Babylons Hislop, or whatever. Yep, Hislop. Hislop. And one of the big takeaways that I that I still recalls so clearly is that for for a believer to use an a, an untruth to try to undermine an untruth has no future there's no future 
for a theology that uses lies to chop down other lies. Exactly. Exactly. And because so, because what am I doing? So if I, in other words, I'm gonna I'm gonna attack Easter with all this Ishtar and paganism and say da da, and people that's such low hanging bad fruit for people to do that and jump on that. It's all over. It's ramp. This is back to the the social media problem. It's all over, and you get you know a million views on a guy, <laughs> and all he's doing is setting people up with another false idea. He's look, replacing if, one false idea with another, and that's not advancing truth although they'll say this is advancing truth if you got a guy who's putting together a bunch of youtube clips and a bunch of wikipedia articles guess what run here's the here's the uh the answer to keith's uh question there is a article on tour resource called does the uh, name easter derive from the pagan goddess ishtar um, I would encourage you to go to torresource.com, go to articles and find that article. You can search in the articles, just put in Easter and it should come up. Um, basically, the point is, is that we are the only place that calls it Easter. It comes from the German word Ishtar, which was the name of the month. April is called Ishtar. Easter or something Easter, like that. U- Ustar. Ustar. And yeah. uh, so they named it Easter because it was in that month. The rest of the world calls it what? Anyone, anyone, Bueller, Pascha. They call it Pascha. Right. Why do they call it Pascha? Because it derives from Passover. So yeah. not only, so for, for so you, like, exactly the Orthodox church in, in, you know, the Greek Orthodox, they don't call it Easter. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and for, for people to say, and oh, in Latin and in Latin, the, the Catholics are going to call it Pascha. Right. And so, <laughs> so, so the idea it's like, it would be like if we said, Oh, you know, uh, it comes from uh, January, and somebody said, "Oh, it's oh, January." Well, that's the that's from the pagan goddess, you know, Janus, and so it, this must derive from paganism. No, I'm sorry. It not only does it mean that you're trying to derive your theology from later <laughs> Anglo-Saxon words, which were, I mean, come on, guys. Historically, it doesn't make any sense. Um, it just, it just doesn't make any sense historically. And not only that, but we have the timeline of how the church started celebrating Passover and was there changes to it? Absolutely. I'm not saying there wasn't changes. Is it celebrated in the same way that Passover is celebrated? No, it's not today. Should it be? Yeah, probably. And that doesn't mean picking up an Orthodox Jewish Seder. I'm sorry to all of those who think that that's what that means. It's not what that means. Um, cause that too is a medieval, uh, exactly. product with it's, many layers of tradition. Exactly. So the point, my point is, is that should we be celebrating Passover or Easter or Pascha or whatever you want to say with Easter bunnies and eggs? No, I don't think so. Is it a slam dunk that this comes from some pagan worship of Ishtar? No, it's not. That is a falsehood, which is being peddled by people on Facebook. And anytime somebody posts that stuff, they're doing a disservice to believers. Why? Because just as Rob said, it doesn't help anyone to fight a lie with a lie. To peddle misinformation to try to prove something to someone is going to hurt your argument in the end. So why do it? I don't understand it. <sighs> okay, that's my that's my my Easter rant for now. Um, so so we what what's proper use of social media within the ecclesia that Yeshua is building? I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm not 
Look, I want people to understand a lot of the time when I come, when, when Rob and I talk about these things, I come on our show and a lot of what I talk about is still questions in my mind. It's not like I have these, everything figured out. A lot of people, you know, we get a lot of comments. Oh, you're so prideful. No, it's not pride. This is the way I talk. Um, you know, I, my, my family, we're a loud family. If you wanted to be heard at the, at the dinner table, whoever talked the loudest got heard. That's just the way it was. Um, and so don't misinterpret my personality with, with uh, thinking that I'm right all the time. The fact of the matter is, is I don't know what, where we should be using social media and how we should be using it, which is one reason I think we should be so careful about how we are using it. Um, and honestly, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at the way that I per personally use social media now, and I'm evaluating and asking myself, am I using this the way that God wants me to? Is well, there's another thing. It's, it's this, this record, right? This digital record stays. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I mean, once you post that, once you send it out, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's there. And that's, uh, you know, back to, uh, the, the theologian you're talking about who says, okay. And it's true for speech too, is what I'm going to say edifying. Is it in love? Is it in truth? Am I seeking, uh, the kingdom values in this? Am I seeking the glorification of God and the, and the, the, uh, the advancement or standing for the, the truth of, of the kingdom, et cetera. Um, Keith, so those are good questions to Keith, ask. Keith says, Caleb, it's interesting. You are still trying to figure this out after how many years on social media? I mean, good point. But the fact of the matter is, is that I think that even for someone my age, you know, I came into Facebook happened in 2004 and I was on Facebook pretty quick after that. Right. Um, and so the, the fact of the matter is, is I've been on social media for a long time. I never thought to myself, Hmm, how should this be used? And that's my bad. I totally agree. How should this be used for the kingdom of God? I just figured this is a great tool and we'll use it. I'll use it for personal, for personal use and I'll use it for business and I'll use it for ministry. I never thought to myself, is there detriment here? And it's not until recently that I've started to think to myself, is it doing more harm than good? And actually sitting down and analyzing what I'm doing on social media. And I think it's something everybody should do. Um, somebody said, uh, Small World says, what was the name of the queen of heaven they were, they were worshiping? I saw that video too. Uh, come on. Diane says, Ishtar. No, I'm sorry. You're wrong. The queen of heaven was cross-cultural against uh, across many, many different uh, pagan nations. And this is one of the reasons that we find it in the Bible, right? They worship the queen of heaven, Jeremiah. Um, the, the, the point is, is no, you don't have a, you don't have a, a uh, celebration that we know of in the set to a date around the time of Passover, like you can't point to something and say, aha, on this date or on this equinox, they celebrated X, Y, Z. Not that I've been able to find. So the point is, is that they, it's not like they were saying, oh, okay, we have this, this uh, celebration to Ishtar, the goddess, the queen of heaven, right around the time of Passover on this date. And so that's when we're going to, that's when we're going to celebrate Easter instead of Passover. That, we just don't have that. But what this shows in the chat room is the is this idea that's going on throughout social media 
it's showing it's showing the progression of social media because people now just believe it. So, but yeah, yeah, Keith, I I totally agree with you. I think that I think that the idea of was it Keith who said that? I think the idea of um, you know, we've been using social media for how long and all of a sudden now we're just now starting to question these things. I agree. I totally agree. It's my bad. It's my downfall on this one. But I think, but once again, I don't think that social media is always bad. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think that like it, at its root level, social media is a bad thing. But I think that as believers, we need to step back and say at all times, you know, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. No matter what you do, do it to the glory of God. So are we using this in the right way? I sure hope, I sure hope that this show um, is done to the glory of God. Rob and I pray that every single week. We uh, we pray together. We talk at length on whether or not this show is going in the right direction, whether it's serving its purpose, all those kind of things. And so with that, we uh, we good, Rob? Sure, sure. <clears throat> If you're a supporter, go check the uh, Messiah Matters More. There is a uh, Messiah Matters More video up there for you. And uh, yeah, a very happy Passover to you. Happy last day of Passover, which is tomorrow, which is why we won't be on the air tomorrow, because it is a Sabbath, and so we will be uh, taking the day off. And uh, we hope that you have a great one. We hope that this Passover season has been amazing for you, and that you've learned something, and that you have, um, yeah, that you've learned something new and refreshing about uh, the Lord and about the grace that the Lord gives us through the land that was slain. All right. And of course, as always, we hope that this conversation has glorified our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Well, because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.